The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, it is really good to be up here this morning, and I thank you all for being a part of our worship today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament prophet Micah. Now, if you're Uh, If you don't want to look in the table of contents, you could go to the break between the Testaments, between the Old and New Testament, and just go backwards just a few pages. Um, Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets, which are the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and they're minor only because they're a little shorter, not because their message isn't important. So uh, it's a major message, but a uh, a shorter prophecy. So Micah, we're going to spend a few weeks going through this Old Testament book. And just by way of introduction, let me, uh, as you're finding your place there, Micah chapter 1, let me tell you a little bit about the minor prophets in general and Micah in particular. The minor prophets largely convey this message about God's judgment. And that's uh, unfortunate that he would need to send that message so many times through so many prophets to so many uh, of the same groups of people. But that's the, the truth about most of the uh, minor prophets. In fact, we're, we've, we've gone through a few of them. We're going to go through the rest of them, I think, over the next uh, half a year, the next, into the next year. And with the exception of Jonah, you know, in Jonah, uh, the people actually heeded the message. Uh, and they, they repented, and that made Jonah mad, right? So uh, with the exception of Jonah, the messages of judgment largely went unheeded. That means they got the message that God sent them, but they just didn't listen. Okay, and, and, and even, I'll just tell you a little side note, which you may remember, uh, even with Jonah, you know, do you remember where Jonah preached? Remember the city? Nineveh, right? Well, well guess what? Did you know Jonah and the, the minor prophet Nahum go together because they preached to the same people. And the sad part is Jonah went and preached and they repented. Well, hundred, almost 150 years later, Nahum had to go back to the same people and they ended up being judged eventually because they fell back into their disobedient ways. So it's, it's a shame how God has to do that, but it's also a blessing that he's willing to send someone to give this message to try to turn his people back to the right direction, the right, right direction being his direction, pointed toward him. So Micah comes into the picture and things are a little bit different. It's not because he's any less concerned with judgment, but he begins by describing the destruction of Samaria. Now Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of, of, of Israel and Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. So the encouraging part is not that some other message has replaced the message of judgment. It's that in Micah's case, the, the message was actually listened to. Repentance came and the disaster was postponed for a full century before God uh, brought judgment on His people because they repented. And so many of the prophets like Hosea and Amos, they were ignored. Jeremiah was put in prison. But there was one prophet who was listened to and whose preaching actually changed history. So when we come to Micah, we ought to be encouraged to know that in this case, one man made a difference. 
God used him to send his word to his people, and it changed their lives. So let's look at Micah chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 16 verses. We're going to talk about a couple of things that we see in this first chapter as it sets the stage for our study through this Old Testament prophecy. Here's what the Bible says, Micah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire and all of her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Because of this I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. At Bethlehem, roll yourself in the dust. Go on your way, inhabitant of Shafir, in shameful nakedness. The inhabitant of Zaanon does not escape. The lamentation of Beth Ezel, he will take from you its support. For the inhabitant of Meroth becomes weak, waiting for good. Because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lachish. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. Because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore you will give parting gifts on behalf of Morsheth Gath. The houses of Oxib will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring on you the one who takes possession, O inhabitant of Merishah. The glory of Israel will enter Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. Father, I pray that you'll take this word You'd help us understand. And as we do, I pray you'd give us the strength we need to be obedient, that we would see your truth here in a way that will help us live our lives in more obedience to you and thereby giving you more glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this prophecy, as it begins, like many of the other prophets, doesn't seem like that positive of a message. It seems like a lot of condemnation, a lot of uh, guilty verdicts, a lot of conviction, a lot of, hey, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you're not going to escape the judgment. All this is going to happen to you if you don't turn around. 
See, one thing we can see is the consistency of God's Word to His people. He is not afraid to tell them the consequences that are coming for their actions, but He's always quick to say, unless you repent. There's always the opportunity to seek forgiveness, to turn around from these sinful ways and to go back to the path they should have never left. Does that make sense? That God's always gracious. He's always offering an, an opportunity to be forgiven. So these two sections of this first chapter, there's actually two long paragraphs. The first one is the first seven verses and then verse 8 down to verse 16. And what we first see, number one, is the judgment of the Lord. The judgment of the Lord. See, Micah prophesied during the reign of three different kings, and they're mentioned right up front. Jotham, who reigned in Judah for 16 years. Ahaz, who reigned in Judah for 16 years also. And then Hezekiah, who reigned in Judah for 29 years. And the two, the two cities that are named here represent the northern and southern kingdoms. See, uh, God's people were divided at this time into two, into two parts. If you were to look at a, a map, you'd see... The, the nation of, of what used to be the nation of Israel. Now you have Israel and Judah. And Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. So here's the, the biggest, um, I guess, profound statement we see in the first paragraph here is that the God Himself is coming to deal with His people. And that's, uh, that's interesting because what has happened in the past, God sends different uh, instruments of judgment. In other words, uh, his people are disobedient, so maybe he sends another group of people who live nearby and they have war with them and that, that's his instrument of, of judgment, so to speak. But in this case, look what the Bible says in verse 3. The Lord is coming from his place. That, that should make everybody start quivering in their sandals, okay? Because at this point, it's not God sending this people or this a set of locusts or, you know, this, this curse, whatever. It's not that. God's coming Himself. He is coming down from heaven personally to deal with them. So that, that's a scary thing, okay? So it says He is so angered at the wickedness that He sees He's going to leave His holy temple to do battle Himself in person. Now that's, uh, that's a frightful, terrifying thing. It should be. To God's people. It, it, it ought to show us the, the true importance of obedience. God doesn't just give us His Word because He was bored and He thought He would inspire some people to write some things down. Uh, it's not um, unintentional. Okay, His Word has purpose and it's important for us to read it and to pray that the Spirit of God will give us understanding so we can actually do what it says because there are consequences, right? We teach our kids this all the time. All three of, of my kids, we have, Darlene and I have, have tried our very best to always instill this principle in our children. There are consequences for your actions. Good and bad. There are consequences for your actions. Nothing is benign. You can't just do something or say something and there's just no effect. That, that's not how the world works. That's not real life. There are always consequences. So when we say something we wish we hadn't said, 
there's always consequences, so we have to maybe go back and ask forgiveness, or, or maybe we have to try to make things right again. If we do something we wish we hadn't done, there's consequences, so we have to deal with those things. We're not free from consequences. I heard it said, uh, I, I really appreciate this quote. I wish I knew the, the uh, person who said it so I could give them the proper credit, but uh, you're free to make your own decision, but you're not free to choose your consequences. You can do whatever you want, but you can't change the consequences of what you did because those are that, that's just what happens, right? So the consequences here of disobedience, rebellion, rebellion in the kingdom is what's happening here. The consequence here is that God himself is coming down to do battle with his people. And, and by the way, if God doesn't fail to judge his own people, he will certainly judge those who do not belong to him. See, the nations that do not know God will not know deliverance from His judgment. There's spiritual adultery going on here. If you look down near the end of this first paragraph, verse 7 especially, uh, Micah talks about idols. They're going to be smashed, and the earnings are going to be burned with fire. But he mentions this in the last two sentences of this verse, a harlot's earnings the earnings of a harlot they'll return. Now he's talking about spiritual adultery. So what does that look like? What do you think it means to commit spiritual adultery? Basically, that's idolatry. Because you have one king, you have one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And so if we forsake our one King, our one Lord, our one Savior, if we forsake Him and go and worship something else or someone else or uh, we attribute glory to someone else or something else and, and we replace the Lord Jesus with this other thing, that's spiritual adultery. It's idolatry. It's one of the primary sins uh, committed against a holy God. And so Micah reminds the people of God here, he says the wealth that's gained by Samaria through idolatry is going to be taken away for her to be used again for the wages of prostitution, spiritually speaking. And here's what he's, what he's kind of leading to. The Assyrians are going to invade and they're going to take the wealth of Samaria into their own temples where it's again going to be used for the worship of idols. So verse 7 is a terrible commentary on what's happening to God's people. But why is it happening? See, I don't want us to miss uh, the reasoning. Because we can say, all right, this is, what, uh, this is what's happening to the people, and we can get kind of caught up in the judgment and the, the sentence, so to speak, that the judge is handing down, but we can miss the reason for it. It's not random. It's not arbitrary. The reason why this judgment's coming is because of rebellion, disobedience, idolatry. They're not worshiping God anymore. They're worshiping other things. Other things have become more important to them than the worship of God Himself. And so that's the judgment of the Lord coming down on the people in Israel and in Judah, specifically Samaria and Jerusalem as the nation's capital. That's the judgment of the Lord. Number two, the second half of this, and I, and I will say, don't be shocked or surprised. It might be, we might go a little shorter today. I know 
there's a lot of people that are upset at that, and I know if you want me to go longer, I can probably think of something to say, but, you know, it's going to be a little shorter than normal. The warning of the prophet in the second paragraph, verse 8 to verse 16. So you have the judgment of the Lord, then the warning of the prophet. See, Micah is identifying personally with the people he's preaching to. He's one of them. So think about Micah as kind of being, he's the preacher, but he's also one of the people. So as he's preaching and being inspired to deliver this, this terrible message, he's also the recipient of the message. He's, he's having to deal with these consequences himself as one of the people. So it's like I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching to the people all at the same time. He weeps and he mourns over the destruction that are coming to God's people. Guess where Micah lives? He lives in Judah. So he is in the southern kingdom. He's all part of this. And so he's not just uh, an innocent bystander. He's the subject of his message, of his own message. And so that makes it a, a personal investment here. See, the judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel was like cancer. It had spread from Israel to Judah, from the north to the south. And this section here, beginning in verse 10, uh, begins with the words that recall David's grief at the death of King Saul back in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It ends with the name of the very cave where David hid himself from Saul in that story. Because, you know, Saul was trying to kill David because he was jealous of him. So now you have a list here, these next few verses in this uh, second half of the chapter, you have a list of ten cities in Judah that are actually going to participate in the destruction of Judah because of God's judgment. So the, the list goes on. Uh, it starts with Bethlehem, then Shafir, then Zanon, and you see them going all the way from, from verse 10 uh, all the way down to uh, verse 14 even verse 15. And, and it's a list of all these cities. And the reason why they're listed is because God's going to use them in His judgment of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so all these things have uh, significance because they're part of God's uh, plan to turn His people back to Him. In fact, the last one, if you look at verse 15, the glory of Israel, the last sentence there, the glory of Israel will enter Adullam. Adullam is the place of refuge for David when he was fleeing from Saul. So here's what's happening to the people as they hear this message. All right, so if you're familiar with something and somebody's telling you a story about it and you hear words that you recognize, you kind of find yourself identifying with a story, right? Like if somebody's giving you directions to a place and, and you are familiar with the area... They're going to give you, what are they going to give you? Landmarks. That's right. They're going to give you landmarks. And every time they mention a landmark that's familiar to you, what are you going to say? Oh, oh yeah, okay, I know that one. Yeah, I know where that is. And so it's going to be uh, a development of this story in your own mind so the picture you have is going to become more personal. See, if, if you give me directions uh, in Houston, Texas, I'm clueless. I don't know any landmarks. I don't know where anything is. I'm going to need a GPS, and I'm going to need some very specific 
turn-by-turn directions or I'm going to be lost. Okay? You give me directions almost anywhere in Lexington County or even in Wagner or, or Perry or Sally or around this area, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be fine. Hey, tell me, turn left out of church, go down Berlin Road, go to the Perry store. Go straight. Are you, you, are you picturing it? Turn left. What highway am I on? 39? Where am I going? Sally? What happens if I go straight through? Where am I going? Springfield? Right? What if I get to Springfield and turn right? What highway am I on? Four? Where am I going? Williston? Right? I just gave you directions to my hunting property, by the way. So, uh, yeah. So the, the point is, if it's familiar, it means a little more because you can identify. So that's one of the major purposes of God inspiring these particular words to this particular people. Every time one of these ten cities is mentioned they recognize it. And they say, oh, wait, that's, that's close by. They're, they're going to bring judgment on us? God's going to use them? There's ten cities around uh, the capital of Jerusalem and they're going to be instrumental in God's punishment of us? So it, all, it takes on a whole new meaning because it's recognizable. It's not just random places. It's not just random people. It's personal. And God did that on, on purpose to, to show them, hey, this is an important thing I'm trying to tell you, and if you don't turn from your rebellious, idol-worshiping ways, there's going to be consequences. There's, there's punishment. You can't just do whatever you want to do and think God's okay with it. Does that make sense? I fear that a growing sentiment in the culture of people who want to grab the title Christian and just attach it to themselves and think there's no consequence to that, there's no ramifications for calling yourself a Christian. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Okay. Awesome. What difference does it make to you? I'm a Christian, really? Where do, you, where do you gather for worship? Where do you go to church? Um, it's that, you know, that church down there. Who's the pastor? Um, um, do you really go? You know? How, how much of a difference does it make in your life? It's a growing sentiment. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But no, God's all right with that. He doesn't, he doesn't mind you doing this or going there or acting like this or treating people this way. Oh, no, it's all right. He's, 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 I'm covered by grace, man. He can do whatever I want. Really? Is that how that works? Because that uh, reminds me of a scene in The Princess Bride when the, when the little ball guy, Vicini, keeps using that word, inconceivable! And then uh, the Spaniard, the great fencer, he says... You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah. Grace. 
It's not a license. Grace is a, an unimaginable gift. And it should drive us not to do whatever we want and think we're covered. It should drive us to honor God at every turn with every fiber of our being because we can't possibly imagine how God would have mercy on us and forgive us for all the things in our lives. That, that's, grace and mercy should be astonishing. It shouldn't be uh, just flippant and say, oh, well, that's no big deal. See, these folks were, were uh, fooled into following this temptation to uh, worship idols, to rebel against God and His Word, to not uh, pay attention to His leading and yet think that there were no consequences. See, in verse 16, in the last verse of this chapter, this is the, the pronouncement of what's ultimately going to happen here. And look at the last sentence of chapter 1. He, he tells them some things, but the last sentence he says, for they will go from you into exile. You know what exile means? To go into exile was to become a slave of another country. And for an entire country to go into exile was the death of a nation. Because the entire nation was enslaved. They were no longer free. See, without a doubt here, one of the reasons for Micah's success as a witness for God is that he genuinely identified with the people to whom he was speaking and genuinely grieved for what was coming to them. Remember, because he lived in Judah. And, and this is a principle that I suspect would be helpful for us to remember, especially when we're talking with folks who maybe don't know Jesus but need to know Jesus, and we've got an opportunity for a conversation. Many people who have rejected a Christian's logic have been won over by their tears. If there's genuine compassion and, and sorrow over the fact that someone is far from God, and if they remain far from God, they are destined for an eternity separated from God. You know... I don't get along with everybody throughout my life. You know, I've encountered lots of people, high school, college, uh, work, even seminary. You know, that's been a, a long time. You know, in, in 49 years, I've met people that I really enjoy being around. I've met people that, you know, not so much. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much I dislike someone or disagree with someone or don't want to hang around someone, there is no person that I would wish a Christless eternity. I, I don't want anybody, I, I don't care who I disagree with, I don't care if we see things completely differently on every count, I don't want anybody going to hell. So Micah has a, a vested interest. You know, think about someone that, that you don't agree with and you just argue with maybe every time you see them. 
do you really want them to spend eternity without Jesus? Micah was positive he did not want that. It didn't matter what was going on, who was around him. He preached through the reigns of two kings before God's people had an awakening. And so finally, during the reign of Hezekiah, you can go back, if you want to jot this down, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 18, uh, 18, 19, and 20. That will kind of give you uh, a picture of Hezekiah's reign and, and when this message was being preached and when the awakening occurred of God's people. So his message finally bore fruit. Now, now why is that important? You, you know, Micah, I said, he preached during the reign of three different kings, right? The first two served for 16 years each. Hezekiah served for 29 years, right? So if, if Micah was God's prophet and preached for the, through the reign of three kings, that means he preached probably 30 years before he began to see visible fruit in the people he was preaching to. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. Maybe you've taught Sunday school. And maybe you, you wonder if you're making a difference. You wonder, are these kids uh, hearing anything I'm saying? Or, or maybe, are, are these adults hearing anything I'm saying? You know, whatever, whatever the case may be. And, and you, you teach and you teach and you prepare and prepare and you just, you can't, you can't figure out in your own mind, am I making a difference? Is anybody getting this? Is this worth the effort? Maybe you're a missionary and you're in a, a, a far East Asian city where Christianity is not even legal. And you're, you're covert, you're trying to be a good citizen while you're still trying to spread the gospel, you're trying to pray for people, you're trying to, to share the love of Jesus, and you move your family and you live there for years and you, you try to be faithful and you just don't see what's happening. You don't, you don't see the result. You wonder, is this, is this making a difference at all? Does this matter? Micah preached for more than 30 years and then the light went on. He saw an awakening in God's people after all those years of preaching that message and being faithful to try to turn the hearts of the people toward God. And, and granted, we can't do that. It's not in our power to change somebody's heart. But it is in our power to be obedient to God. I, I once heard this, this, uh, this preacher say uh, he had, had someone come up to him and they were having difficulty uh, witnessing you know, personal evangelism, sharing the gospel. And the, this particular church member said to the preacher, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't do that. I don't have the gift of evangelism. And the preacher said, really? Do you have the gift of obedience? Because last time I checked, every Christian has the mandate to share the gospel. It's not a special gift you have to have. You can tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. So he preached all this time. He finally saw fruit during the reign of Hezekiah. 
you know, it reminds me of two New Testament verses that are really, really uh, relative to this whole principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. That's a, a fairly well-known verse. You know what it says? It says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Just because we don't see the result doesn't mean something's not happening. And then in another letter of Paul, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Therefore let us not become weary in doing good, because at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. That brings us to the end of this chapter and uh, kind of a, a, fitting, uh, a fitting end. You know who Winston Churchill is? figure in history, commander-in-chief of the British forces, World War II, you know, when he had to speak to some of his soldiers, he told them in this particular speech three words. His message was three words. He said, never give up. And he followed it up with, never give up, never give up, never, never give up. That was his message to his soldiers. Never give up. It's almost as if you can see Micah in the midst of all of God's people trying to turn them back to the right path. Never give up. God is always ready and willing and able to forgive and to extend grace and mercy. Amen. We have to turn, repent. You know, the, the people of Israel and Judah believed that God would provide for them and protect them just because they were children of Abraham, not because they were obedient and loyal to the covenant He had made with them. They believed they could live any way they wanted, even as idol worshipers, and God would just bless them. So I wonder if our generation today bears any resemblance to the people of Micah's ministry. You know... Three of the words most often spoken by people in leadership positions in our, in our nation, usually at the end of a speech. Anybody know what those three words are? God bless America. Right? God bless America. So just regardless of how we live, regardless of what we do, regardless of what we believe. God bless America. You know, I want God to bless America. I think America should bless God. Maybe we might see some things turn around. Our idols, you know, these, these folks here, uh, wooden images, carved images, uh, physical idols, and, and, and our idols are just as real even though they look different. Some come in the shape of dollar bills while others take the form of houses or cars or clothes or sports or hobbies or drugs or alcohol or fame or a career. We worship God on Sunday and then we quickly retreat to the temples of our other gods. This is an unfortunate reality for the people of God throughout generations. We just 
just can't seem to get away from this sin of idolatry. And it's no coincidence that the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments are having no other gods and no idols. Top two. That's not a coincidence. Even in our current culture where there's a great deal of division over the problems we face and who's to blame for them and we're tempted to place our hope in a particular political ideology or a candidate or a party and as passionate as people become about these subjects it would be a mistake to try to find hope in these places our hope as Christ followers can never reside in our our nation or our military or our political leaders. There's only one person who offers hope for the world. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.